May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable into your sight, O Lord, not because of anything that we have done or, or what we're doing now, but because of your grace. Oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Our grace, your, our grace is found in you alone. And may we receive it this day, even if it's for the very first time. Come Lord Jesus, amen. So I'd like to start with some highlights, insights from Israel. Well, it's been four weeks since we returned 39 of us from Israel. And I wanted to bring some of those memories and insights to you. And I've shared them every week and I wanted to share one with you again this morning. And then if you're looking for it, hey, I'd like to learn more about that, you'll see it written up in the newsletter uh, coming up on Thursday morning when Scott sends it to you. So one of the things that's been said to me often since I have returned, and I'm sure this has happened to the 12 from our congregation that one as well, said, hey, what's been the highlight? What was a highlight for you when you went to Israel? Heard that, I've heard that every single week. And my response, true, there are too many highlights to give just one. But today I'd like to share something that is one of my highlights. And it all happened to be on the water. What's remarkable is when I taught, when I continue to teach what is called confirmation in the church, I try to give them a picture of what the Holy Land looks like. And I share in the Holy Land is basically put together the parameters of it by five bodies of water. You have the Mediterranean and you have the, you have the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, you have uh, the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. You, you have these bodies of water and then you have the Euphrates and Tigris River that all around here. And I got to be there. Not the Euphrates and the Tigris River, that's not a real safe place to be. But I was in Israel and I got to take a splash in each one of the five main bodies of water. Wow, so cool. So I wanted to show a picture of one of them. The first splash was the, the Mediterranean. So here's the Mediterranean right here. And so we came into Tel Aviv and right, in, right by it is Joppa. And Joppa is the place where we know Jonah running away from God, gets on a ship and heads out in the Mediterranean. And when he got out to the Mediterranean, he was divinely met by a great big fish. So when I was out there swimming in the Mediterranean, I was looking around for any great big fish. It was so cool to be there. The second splash happened in a different place it's where we know Jesus walk, walked. Actually, he walked on water in this place, the Sea of Galilee. And wow, you can't capture it. I mean, if you look behind, you can capture it a little bit better on that screen back there. I'm not just having you turn. It just it looks better over there on that screen. And then, so the three days that we stayed on the shores of Lake Galilee, two of the days, I know two of the days, we went at sunrise and worship the Lord. It's amazing. And then on one of those days, we went out to the Sea of Galilee on a boat and worshiped. 
and think that was the same place where Jesus did so many miracles, brought in huge catches of fish, right? And on the resurrection day, even on the shore, the disciples went back to fishing and Jesus brought in a whole load of fish and said, come on over here. And then they had a fish bake on shore on that resurrection day. So many things happened on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, Jesus walked on the water. He calmed the storms, didn't he? It, it, it was remarkable to be there and experience what happened. It was an incredible splash for sure, and we went swimming there. And then there was splash number three, and splash number three was the Jordan River. So we went around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there is a place where baptisms took place. And, and for us as Lutherans, we, a lot of us get baptized as infants. And so when we did this baptismal type of experience, a lot of them were not being rebaptized, but affirm, affirming their baptism, just experiencing the waters in this way. And so, uh, you know, Holly, she was baptized, but it was a, it was a reaffirmation of her baptism. And, and this is a, a scene of um, right here with Holly in the middle. Looks kind of happy there, huh? <laughs> and, then, and then we have um, Todd and myself right there. And we had this wonderful baptismal experience on the water. And the words that came to mind when I think about this is when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in that theophany experience where the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved, whom I love so much. He, it's incredible words. And the same is true for us when we come to the faith and we were baptized. It's, it's that's that whisper of God says, you're my child. I love you. You're mine. And I think of the opportunity for some, you maybe haven't been baptized. What an incredible opportunity by God's grace inviting you to the baptismal font or to the river this summer. I don't think you want to get baptized in the river right now. But it's an invitation to receive his grace. That was splash number three. Splash number four, oh, what you see here is the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, I've never, well, I've never been to any of it. And as we came there, it was glorious. This is uh, Aquab, Aquaba was this city right on the northern tip of the Red Sea. And there was four countries right there. You had over there where you're looking at is Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. And then right next to that is Jordan, then Israel. And next to that is Egypt. We're all in the one spot. And so we're swimming in this beautiful water filled with colorful fish. And so we went to the the dock and went in and swam to the other dock and there was all kinds of fish right there. It was an incredible experience on the Red Sea. And as I was looking in, I couldn't help but looking in and looking for chariot wheels <laughs> of that great miracle story of God's deliverance with Moses bringing the Israelites onto the other side. And the last body of water that I like to share with you is right here. Ah, <laughs> is the Dead Sea a little bit further down, and this low point, uh, I think it's 1,360 feet below the surface there, lowest point on earth, incredibly salty, never experienced. So I'm walking out, and I get to right up to my chest, 
and I couldn't touch anymore. I mean, I was touching, I wanted to touch, but my body just floated up like a cork, just bobbing around like a cork. And to the point where you can actually just float up like Superman and your body's just up. This cool experience. All this in the Holy Land. Splash, five splashes, and still to this day, extraordinary things happen on the water. One of those things is God just loves to draw his people in in baptism. So if there are those that haven't been baptized and want to come into the kingdom of God, praising and honoring him, let me know. We'll set that up, either in a, a warm swimming pool or a, a river this summer or in the baptismal font right here. So that's a little bit about the Holy Land. If you want to come, we're having a show and tell tonight at 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and we'd love to have you be part of that. And now I'd like to switch gears to the paradox. God chooses to reveal himself in weakness to show forth his glorious mercy and strength. Hallelujah. Oh, let's pray again. Lord, open our hearts to receive this paradoxical truth that you show your strength in weakness. Help us to understand what this all means today. Not just what it means in scripture, but what it means for us to live for you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So good to be here with you this morning. And I wanted to share with you why this is so important to know. And I don't want to gloss over this. It's so important for you to know that God chooses to use, show his power through weakness. And what it does is this. Why it's so important is it tells us something about God. That God chooses to show forth his strength and his power and his mercy through weakness. And where do we see this? Because it does display this about God. God chooses to use weakness to show forth his power and his mercy and his grace. Where do we see this? Right from the beginning, right? Born in Bethlehem to a poor a child, really, that Jesus came in weakness in this way. Born in a very humble place, and I got to be very close to where Jesus probably was born and how humble it was. And for him to, be, to stay warm is the breath of animals just to keep him warm in a feeding trough. Born in weakness. And then his life is this way too. And then he showed, what did he show that was a pinnacle of his weakness? He went to the cross, weak, despised, broken heart for the world. And he went to a place of persecution and death, and he hung on the cross for you and me. And everybody else would say, weak! But God showcases his power through weakness. His throne room on the cross. Hard to understand, isn't it? Hard to get your minds around it that this Christian faith can be so backwards to this that God shows his power through weakness, and he came and did this for us, that you may be saved. Ah, oh, this is good news. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that truth, 
that God shows forth his power through weakness. Even, and then if you go to Philippians chapter 2, we hear this incredible hymn, chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, I think, and it talks about how, how Christ Jesus came to be a servant, yet king. He came humiliated, but exalted. He came weak, but strong. That's our God. God chooses to do things totally different than what we think of, even in the midst of the times where we just want to be champions. We want to see strength in every way. And we hear a different message about this Jesus who comes in weakness to show his strength, especially on the cross for you and me. That's about God, but it also tells us about us. And if it works better for you is this image I gave to the children here. God doesn't choose to use the strong. Why? Because there's no room for God to work. He wants to use people that are willing and flexible and weak so his hand can work in and through us. It's a powerful message that is true. And God, even to this day, doesn't use the strong, he uses the weak because the strong have no room for God because they're completely satisfied in themselves. Do you know of anybody satisfied in themselves? Don't need anything. Pull up the bootstraps. I'm good. Need any help? Nope, don't need help. I'm good. But the cross testifies to the fact and the truth that not all is good, that we're all weak, and that you and I need a savior. And maybe that's the one thing that you need to hear, say, I need a savior today. He came for all people to save you, broken as we are. Because I haven't met one perfect person and if there is one that says they're perfect, they're lying. And we don't get to heaven by merit. We get into God's good graces through his grace and what he has done for us. And he loves to use weakness because we're not full of ourselves and we allow him to work in us. Isn't that beautiful? And it's the truth. Do you know we, we hear about this Paul was one of those. He was probably full of himself at one time. You even see this when you read Philippians chapter 3, and you hear about his hallmarks, and he talks about his pedigree. He talks about his education. He talks about his family. He talks about everything about his life before Christ. And then he says, nothing like none of those things that seem so important matter anymore. He goes on and says they're like rubbish compared to Christ. That he may be filled with him. So why is this so important? Why is this so important that God work in weakness? Why did he show forth in weakness? Why does he show up in us in weakness too? Why is that? I'd like to propose three things that are very obvious to do, but I just want to give that to you so you know how this works. 
because of his miracles. I mean, when he does something through a weak person like me or you, it's the only thing that comes to mind is this. It must be a miracle. I could say that about me. I, I certainly do not have that, that gift of being in front of people and God used a person like me in ministry for the last 27 years. I can't believe it. And people will then say, that is a miracle. And so you see, it just showcases his power, his grace, and his mercy in us. And it shows forth a miracle. Did you know, still to this day, people can't understand why God would use a weak church. And yet God chooses to use the church like this weak glove so that his grace, his mercy, his power can move and so that he may use the church to extend his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness to this world. People will say this, and I can understand why, because they're looking for power and they're looking for perfection. Why would God do such a thing? Or, I like Jesus, I like God, I just don't like the church. Well, it's God's plan. He chooses to use the, the church to show forth his miraculous power. But why else does he do this? There's something else too. It's a really important thing for us to know. God knows that he can't work within prideful people. There's no room for God when we're full of ourselves. And just in case you feel like you got this one down, it's not like this truth that you know and say, yeah, I got this. I don't want to be full of myself so God, so I could be empty so God can use me more effectively. And you think, oh, I got that truth. I get it. And if I had you raise your hand to know that truth, you say, most of you would raise your hand and say, I get it. But it's not just a concept to learn. It's something daily that needs to take place. Because do you think that pastors can become conceited and boastful and arrogant? And so each time I said that, I look right here. And it's the most humbling thing to realize that I'm not that and I can get humbled in ways that God uses. It's this truth about God's word that he uses broken, imperfect, imperfect people, empty people, so that God can be used in us. Third thing, <laughs> And it really all goes together. They kind of swim together. And so when something great happens in the church and in through us, all the credit goes to God because there is no room for it to go to us. Which brings to one we talked about as elders today. It's the hallmark response of any Christians that live for him. And that is a grateful heart. Why is that important? Because everything that we have is a gift from God. 
All the blessings, all the goodness is a gift from God. And so our whole life is in gratitude for what God has done. So can I ask you a question? It's more of a rhetorical question, but maybe you need this question for you. Do you think God can use you? Go ahead and answer. Maybe there's a few no's out there. I expect that because you knew the answer was supposed to be yes. It is yes. But some of you here today are saying, no, God's not gonna use me. How could God use me? And I wanna remind you that God has a track record of using imperfect, fallen, failing, weak, troubled people. So I'd like to give you a litany of that. These are not my words. Pastors use these words all the time, but I don't want it to, I just wanna paint a picture through scripture of how God glories in using weak, broken, failing, imperfect people like us. So it is a miracle that everything gets pointed in his direction. And he delights in working in empty vessels so that empty vessel can be filled with him. It's beautiful. May we be like that church. And let me end with these words that are not my own, but it's a litany list just showcasing the glory of God throughout scripture. And it is a beautiful thing to know. So if you don't feel like that you can be used by God, Oh, I invite you to remember these words. Noah was a drunk. Abraham and Sarah were too old. Jacob was a liar and a scoundrel. Leah was the least. Joseph was abused and forgotten. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were thought of as too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist had a weird diet. <laughs> and last but not least, and there's many others, I just gave you a litany list of that's not mine. That was mine, but the rest are not. This Peter even denied Christ because God delights in using weak people like the church. Strength through weakness. I know it doesn't sell. But I'm telling you the truth. This is how God works. And then when the day, that last day comes, we are going to see something totally different. We're not going to see God in weakness. We're going to see God in strength. We're not going to see the hidden God. We're going to see the revealed God. We're going to see a God that there will be no more suffering. There will be a God that it's just going to be incredibly beautiful when he comes again. And we hold on to this. But God knows how we work. And may it work for you and me. He knows like it's so easy for us to come to a baby 
to come to those that are transparent. And God came in weakness to show forth humility and weakness and transparency so that we would receive him. Come to Jesus. Live for Jesus. And let him use you even in your weakness. Amen.